happy Mother's Day. And we are here uh, not only as the people of God to hear his word, but what I love about the Bible and how it works is it always addresses and approaches people in the circumstances that they find themselves in or that they are moving towards, and then the Bible speaks very clearly and prophetically to all people in all times and all circumstances. And we are no different than that at all. And so we come to this text today in light of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, and one of those is, in fact, Mother's Day. So I'm not just trying to make some kind of a weird connection. I just can't help but think on this particular day, as we are going to be dealing with a very Uh, foundational text in the life of the early church in the book of Acts, that we can also see in that text and in others the constant hand of God moving, changing, supporting, confronting, fixing God's people. And I just can't think about much of those terms without thinking about mothers. Happy Mother's Day. I've heard people say that they have a really, really hard time understanding God because of a very difficult or broken father-son or father-daughter relationship. And that because of that relationship, they have a very difficult time approaching God in the way that they feel that they ultimately should. I don't think that would be any less true for mothers. Mothers have such a profound influence on us that they do they they mold and they shape our understanding of ourselves and our understanding of of the world around us and ultimately our understanding of God and this is God's design this is his plan this is his purpose I, I, I know that your card this morning if you're a mom literally said you're the greatest mom ever All other moms are terrible in comparison to you. And every other child was not raised right, and you raised me perfect. I know that was what your card said, but you do know like every mother's card said that. And you can kind of do the math and realize we can't all be the greatest mom ever. Uh, We know that. I even think there's an appropriate time for exaggeration and hyperbole. So we have two days for moms and dads to exaggerate that. But that's okay because what we're really trying to describe is is our love for them and our appreciation for them. And words usually do end up a little short. So I get it. But actually, in reality, moms come to us the way that all moms are. Broken, trying to figure out life themselves trying to do the best that they can to varying degrees. I I can appreciate, actually, that. As I get older, as I am now over 50 and I'm in the twilight years of my life, um, and maybe because of this last year, becoming grandparents for the first time, and now watching my children be parents, My wife and I went through a time last fall dealing with what it's like um, to say goodbye in this world 
to one of our parents, and my wife's mom passed away at the end of October. It just causes you to reflect on, on life. I remember I heard just a couple days ago somebody made the comment about Mother's Day, and it was when I kind of did the math, and I thought, oh, that's right, I really need to, to, to make sure that my wife is okay and is kind of thinking through this particular day. I'm sure that even events that have happened recently, it's a, it's a mess. It gets really, really hard when you think about Mother's Day because... It comes with a lot of different things, a lot of different emotions and different circumstances. So how do we just say, Happy Mother's Day? The Bible gives us a way of looking at life that helps us not only on this day, but on every day. Not only on that relationship, but on all relationships. Where we can stop and appreciate that God, in his sovereign power and overwhelming love and kindness and grace and mercy, gives to us those things that we need. I get it. Like, I'm always racing through my mind, but then why isn't every mom the best mom? Like, why, why, why are there, like, difficult mothers and painful memories And then I remember that God is sovereign over that. So here's where we kind of land on a special day like this. We kind of land in this this spot where we can stop and reflect back on all the things that our mom wasn't. And fail to give thanks for maybe some of the things that she was. Or or fail to even stop and trust, it's a key word for our text today, And trust that God, even though my family circumstances are not perfect, that God has it. You okay with that? Are you okay with the fact that not everything is working out, but God still has it? Because there's the other side to that. My mom could do no wrong. Greatest mom ever. Can't think of one thing. My wife can't even do half of what my mom did, or my wife is the greatest mom ever, and no one. I mean, do you realize just how much that kind of fails to recognize reality? Beyond the cards, we either land between our frustration with people or our lifting up of people instead of standing biblically. I'm not even saying in the middle, but standing biblically and appreciate that God has it. I did a funeral one time for a a lady that definitely had a troubled life. Died rather young. Uh, Had two, she left two adult daughters. And as I'm preparing for the funeral, just try, I knew it was going to be hard, but trying to find something, you know, like, you know, funerals, try to find something to just look back on. It's a sad moment anyway. What, what moments can we look back on and at least put our best face on and not try to deny that it's complicated, but there's got to be something. And I asked them that. Is there anything at all, any happy or fond memories? And they weren't angry. They weren't mad. They said, uh, in unison, Like, we cannot think of one good thing that our mom ever did to us or for us. What do I say? Wow, I mean, then there's no hope at all for anybody. No? 
I looked at the circumstances of that, and I just said, well, then isn't it great that there's a God who has always been, who's always acted? And isn't it great that in the midst of that struggle and in the midst of that difficulty, that God in his sovereign care began to have a, a much bigger conversation? I mean, truly, Happy Mother's Day. And I hope that you take the time, the intentional time, to not only just talk to your mom and, and to be kind and gracious, but also to be thankful to God for what he has done. Have you ever stopped and just thought that your mom is not just a mom and she's not just a wife? Have you ever stopped to just spend just a moment to think that she's also, and I would argue, primarily a daughter of God? Thought about that? And how important that is for us as the church to be able to truly give thanks where thanks is appropriate to understand this crazy mess that's called life and to be able to give appropriate thanks where appropriate thanks are due and especially to him who has been so kind to us. And all of a sudden we can, at that moment, I believe this, when the gospel gives us that perspective, then we can both speak truthfully and, and yet still appreciate broken people. We don't have to over-appreciate or put our heads in the sand or become somehow seduced into other ways, um, unbiblical ways of living because that's the way our perfect parents lived or can't live up to that because that's how our perfect... See, the gospel has this way of, of helping us and forcing us to deal with life. And in Acts 15, the church now has to deal with life. Like this is the problem that the gospel creates. So often when we think about the words of Jesus or the words of God, they're come to clean everything up and put everything in order and just make sure that everything looks good. But in reality, sometimes the gospel makes a mess. Sometimes the gospel pushes things over and moves things out and says, I need you to reset the table, literally. Whoosh. You said it wrong. And we're not just going to rearrange the chairs on this ship. We're going to start from scratch. Kind of what the church is doing in Acts 15. Why? Because like a good mother, God knows that life is messy. And, and, and like a good mother, God, and you know, by the way, in the Bible, he's sometimes described this way. Knows how to care. You know, you know what a good mom does? I'm not saying this is all a good mom does, but you know what a good mom does? A good mom cleans up a mess. Doesn't she? Cleans up a mess. Dad doesn't know what to do. She's dirty. She's yours. I got her. You're getting the next one, though, right? Clean up the mess. Moms know how to clean up a mess. Literally, you watch a child make a mess and the mom's right behind him cleaning things up. I got this, I got this. I let the child clean it up himself. No, they're too little. Clean it up, clean it up. Moms do that. They have this incredible tendency to, to clean up the mess in our lives. 
to, to come in, I mean, and to try to, to help and to, to fix. And that's why it's so difficult for them to let it go. So difficult. But we can't let them struggle. I, I remember telling Andrea, I just don't like Velcro shoes. Just don't like Velcro shoes. And he's like, well, no, but that's easy. That way they can do it. And I'm just, I'm trying to figure out, and she's wanting to help them, and I'm wanting to just, no, 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 they'll figure it out, but no Velcro, but they'll figure it out. And Andrea's always there, kind of one step in front of me, helping fix and clean up. I admire that in a good mom. But a great mom knows how to make a mess. A great mom not only knows how to to clean up after, or actually the, the most appropriate way, to, it's, it's all about timing or appropriateness. It's about when to fix the mess. And a great mom, did you have a great mom? A great mom knows when to say, listen, sweetheart, you're going to have to work this one out. You were late getting that done, and your teacher was right. Something teachers probably should hear more of us as parents saying, your teacher was right, and there's no excuses and we're going to sit here and go along and we're going to do the best that we can, but these are the consequences of the choices that you made. That's a mess. And instead of just kind of running in and protecting, there's a mess. There is a time to clean up after and then there's a time to say, no, you need to figure it out. This is where Andrew was much better than I. Um, it always drove me crazy when the boys were learning to eat. My wife had no problem just putting them in a high chair, putting food on the tray and just saying, Go. And I was like, but the mess! And she's like, I got it. Like, who's going to clean it up anyway? And she literally would let, because I, I, I don't think a dad would normally do this, but moms seem to have, like, fun putting down a cake in front of a one-year-old and saying, go. There really is something biblical about knowing when to clean up a mess and knowing when to make one. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. The Paul and Barnabas have gone out into Asia and they've made a mess of things. We had it all figured out when everyone that came to church was Jewish. <laughs> we just knew that because they're Jewish, everyone's going to be circumcised. We knew that if they're Jewish, everyone's going to be doing right things on Saturday. We knew because everybody was Jewish that, well, we just knew. Because why? We're all devoted and dedicated, not just to God, but to obedience to God through the law. And so we all know it's all so predictable. But then, then, well, I mean, Peter, I guess, started it. But then Paul went out and just started preaching, and it became Jesus, and then more and more Jesus. And I don't think he's explaining the, all of the implications about what it means to be a follower of Yahweh God. So what are we going to do now? Because it's, it's, now all of a sudden, it's, it's more Gentile than Jewish, and they have a different way of living, and a different way of acting, and a different way of, of worshiping. Everything has just become a mess. Now we've got to clean this up. Do we? Do we have to clean this up or maybe it's better for us to understand like what God is doing before we clean it up? That's what the church is trying to understand. Now that God has moved in such a way, instead of us just going back and resetting it exactly like it was, maybe we need to trace God's hand 
in history and see that maybe God is not doing something different, but doing something more, doing something bigger, doing something greater. And that's what Acts 15 is about. Retracing the hand of God, recognizing the honest mess that real biblical people create when life is dealt with honestly. And seeing what God is ultimately doing and then making sure that that happens. Rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. Over and over and over again. So as we see in the beginning of Acts chapter 15, the gospel in fact creates a mess for us. It creates a terrible mess for us. There are times in which disagreements, and, uh, and, and, and we, I know a lot of people don't like to use this word, but arguments or fighting, that's uh, not always a bad word. It can actually teach us that maybe our way isn't the only way, and maybe it can actually teach us that there are some things worth, fight, worth fighting for. So if you look at Acts chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, you see that the mess that this gospel proclamation created. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses. See where they're drawing back to? This is what we've known. And, and by the way, not randomly. They're not just saying, this is what we're fond of or this is our preference. They, they have like a reason to go, these are the words that God gave on high to his appointed servant for God's people. And we all know, can you hear them thinking this way? And we all know that God never changes. We all know that the God is, of yesterday is the same today and forever. That's a good point. So therefore, why would anything change? That's another good point. Thank you for mentioning that, brother. So we must circumcise according to the custom of Moses. Why? Because if not, what does the text say? You cannot be saved. We hear that as legalism, which it might be. We hear that as exclusive and how dare you, which it might be. I just can't help but also realize that before we just throw these guys under the bus, we might want to invite them on the bus and ask if we're going to the same destination. Like Maybe they are um, well-intended but wrong. Like instead of people to just be mocked or ridiculed or jettisoned, Maybe we should engage them in conversation and with biblical understanding. Maybe God is leading them to a new understanding. Maybe they're that person that have been, has been placed in our life that is not getting it perfectly, but God is still using them. I, I, I get deeply concerned when I hear Christian people, so when it comes out of my own mouth, it scares me. But when I hear Christian people talk about God as though he had one way of doing things and now everything is different and better. You know, back in the olden days, God used to have the law for everybody, but then he realized that wasn't working, so he decided to chill a little. That's why we can call him daddy. You know, we kind of misapply another text. But that's, that's not the way the Bible sees itself. That's not what's actually happening here. I grew up in a... In a in a faith tradition that was rather um, strict in the way that it read the Bible. I mean, really strict with the way that it read the Bible. 
And today that's so not cool. Today, if my parents had this mindset, they would probably write a book if they were so inclined on how the church hurt them or the church didn't understand them or they, they might have um, decided that this is why we don't go to church because the church treated us poorly. I'm so grateful that my dad never had that attitude or opinion, even though there were some pretty serious disagreements between them and the church. My, my dad actually had this approach. My, my dad actually said that, um, he made this very, very clear, the Johnsons are not more important than any church. He'd remind us of that. You know you're not more important than the church, son. Um, yes, sir. I can't figure that out. My, my dad actually taught me, they might not be right, but they're the church. I don't think he was trying to give a pass. I think he just said that there is something. Do you see any, my dad was so good at this. Do you see anything in what they're trying to do that we could appreciate or value? And I, I think for the most part, we have lost this today. Is that we are so wrapped up in ourselves. We are so wrapped up in these ideas of tolerance and inclusiveness, and they all have their place that we have lost the zeal for, like, biblical faithfulness. Because we might get it wrong and become legalists. And I know we might, and there is no excuse for doing that. But you know what you do not see in this text? You do not see Peter and Paul going, man, these guys are such fuddy-duddies, and they don't get how tradition is bad, and so we're going to go start our own little group. You don't get that. No, we're family and we're going to stay in this room until we get this figured out. We are going to sit down. We are going to look at the word of God. We are going to trust that the spirit that made this mess is actually going to help us clean it up. So grateful for this. So grateful for people that, that love God that way, even if they not, not love him perfectly. So any room for that? in your theology, or more than that, in your living in biblical community? Is there any room for someone that might be passionately misguided in a desire to be obedient to the gospel? I know, I know what you're saying. Jim, are you saying we should be more legalistic? Oh, adventures and missing the point. Not that. But it's dealing with it the way the biblical text is dealing with it. Notice what it says here. The statement is clear. They've got a problem with this. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, Luke's way of saying great big dissension, and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this question. They're not going to let this go. Man, we're as leaders, we're not agreeing. And as leaders, we're not letting everybody go. We are going to Figure this out. Now, there's a trust in God. So often in relationships, when tension creates and builds, the only way we know how to deal with it is to just walk off. But not for church. Not in church. Notice how this mess continues, verse 5 of chapter 15. Some, there are some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. This is in Jerusalem, church council number one. All the big boys are in attendance, James the brother of Jesus. Um, as far as we know, most, if not all, of the apostles. Paul is there, Barnabas is there. They're telling stories of what God has done. Stories of the indwelling of the Spirit. 
People are arguing from the scriptures about what obedience is. And by the way, if you've never, if you've never just stopped and reflected on the complexity of this question, I encourage you to have as just some kind of like a, like a momentary thought that, you know, the law is old and the law is kind of past and the law is done. And then read Psalm 119. This afternoon, after you call your mom, just go read Psalm 119 and ask, like, what is the Bible? How does the Bible view the law and the word and the ordinances and the statutes of God? You'll understand a little bit more of the tension that we have just so easily just made go away, dismissed. And so this group of belonged to the Pharisees rose up and they said, so they're, they're, they're digging their heels in, it is necessary to circumcise them, them and to order them to keep the law, to obey the law of Moses. Enough said. And they've got a lot of tradition and a lot of history and they're in Jerusalem, so they've got the geography to prove it. They've got the, 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 the history of the Jewish people to back them up. They can tell stories about, you remember last time that we decided to not obey the law? We were sent into exile. Do you remember this? Yet, there appears to be, from those that are leading the most, Peter predominantly, there appears to be something that will not let it go. It's like, I know what you're saying, and there's even a lot of truth that, that seems to be ringing in that, but then there's something that's not right. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there in your mind when you think about God? God is saying all of these things or the Bible is teaching these things and someone is leading you in a particular direction, but yet something just doesn't seem to be right. What do you do in those moments? I love that the church gathers together and has no small dissension. And then notice what they do. They just don't talk about, just talk about, hey, I had this really cool experience and yet they'll talk about experience. But then, and more. See, what they realize, what they trust, what they believe, is that God is the one that made this mess, and therefore God is the one that is going to see them through. The, the, the last little few verses of our text, we're going to start unpacking next week about why they selected those commands to send on to the church. But today, what I want us to watch at is the fact that God does not leave his people in confusion or in dissension, but he reveals himself clearly enough that a decision can be made and then followed through. My two greatest concerns for the church today is that there's not enough humility. That in the end, everybody just speaks so boldly. This is me talking. That they speak so boldly without any kind of recognition that there is a difference between us and God. And there needs to be greater humility when we preach and teach the word of God and we hold people to a standard. There needs to be a greater sense of humility. The other great problem that I see in the church today is that there is no confidence whatsoever. This is me talking. That there is no confidence in standing on the word of God and where the word of God is clear that we should stand there and not move one inch. Anybody else get the complexity of that problem? So you're telling me that we're not humble enough. Yes, so we should be more humble. Yes. Okay, now you're saying that we're not confident enough. Yes, and we need to be more confident. Yes. Probably what most moms feel. 
How do I be amazingly humble and amazingly confident at the same time? Thanks be to God who is both and has revealed the way, who has cleaned up the mess of our lives. Look at what happens in verse 7. There is a time to discuss, no small dissension, and there's a time for a conclusion. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice. And nobody's debating this. This is more than just Peter's experience, by the way. This is God's divine involvement. This isn't Peter in a quiet time having an inkling about an idea or a text. This is the Holy Spirit came on power at Cornelius' household. The Holy Spirit came, and the Holy Spirit, I mean, it's, it's clear. God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, notice his focus. It's so interesting when I hear people preach this text nowadays. It's about, yeah, we should be more inclusive to people and people and people and people. And people have value and worth being made in the image of God. But the text is God, God, God. God, 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 God. See, because if we just get in an argument about people and people and people and people, we never touch the divine. We never get to the foundation. And this is what the foundation is. God made a choice. In verse 8, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith, by trusting in him, by, by joyfully and willfully giving their lives to him. That's how God blessed them, that Cornelius was a godly man who pursued God, and God accepted that his trust in him, and then blessed him. And Peter goes, this is what God is doing. Now, therefore, why are you, the rest of the people in the room, who are on the wrong side of the debate? Which, by the way, this is where confidence is needed. Peter didn't say, you know, you have your opinion and we have ours. No, Peter listened and then went, okay, are we, are we done? You're wrong. Like, you're just wrong. And nowadays, how can anybody say that they're wrong? That's just your perspective. No, Peter said, you're wrong. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke, that is a, a word that would usually mean like the instructional expectation of a rabbi or a teacher, the yoke. You, you put it on. Why are you putting on them a yoke that neither we nor our forefathers were able to bear? And then verse 11, we believe that we will be saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. What Peter concludes is not that God is doing something. This is so important for the church to hear. So listen up. God is not doing something new. God is doing what he's always done. It's not law versus grace. It's always grace. And how is that grace applied through faith? It is through our faith. It is through our trusting God and at Mount Sinai, it is our trusting God. If, if you have any, any confusion about this, just read Hebrews 11, after you've read Psalm 119. Go and read Hebrews 11, and notice what it says. Notice how many times, and don't just go by faith and stop. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abram left his homeland. and By faith, he was willing to sacrifice. By faith, Moses. By faith, Moses. There's lots of Moseses. By faith, Moses. By faith. And then there was this thing that they did. 
by faith. This has always perplexed the church. Because when we hear grace or when we hear faith, sadly enough, we think, is that the kind of the do whatever we want thing? How many of you, if you just stop and really kind of think on it, just know how hard faith is? Let me give you a different word to help you with. How many know how hard it is to trust? You know how hard it is to trust? How difficult it is to believe that I'm going to raise my child in this way and most likely it's going to mean that they're going to be different than everybody else and they're going to be kind of ostracized, but it's the right thing to do. Is that work? It feels like work to me. To believe that like when my wife and I are, are, are giving our vows to each other and we're going to say that we're going to be doing this no matter what and we're going to stick in this and we're going to work through this and I just have to believe that when God says and like what he has joined, that God has joined us together, this isn't just us just listening to too much air supply in the late 80s, there's more going on. Hey, there we go. Um, there's more actually going on. Do you, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Like that kind of trust, that kind of belief, that kind of faith, all the same word is a lot of work. And yet it doesn't, it's not work. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. 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 Yeah, it is. By faith. And I love the connection. Just as they did, that's what we are. And then notice, they didn't only say that God did this, and they, they draw on the Cornelius experience in Acts 11, 10 and 11, but then he concludes in verses 15 through 17, and with all of these words, the prophets agree. Just as it is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it and the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. God said he was going to do this in the Old Testament. God actually did it. What we are seeing here is not a mess. It is something that God is doing in people's lives that is creating a mess for us, but it is a divine mess. It is a wonderful mess. It is a mess when all of a sudden we can see the ultimate way in which God has always worked on people by God engaging them in their different circumstances and saying, trust me. And the best way he did this was when he gave us Jesus and he said, and he has accomplished it all. He has won it all. Trust me. And beautifully, that's how Noah and Adam and Abraham and Moses and David and Elijah and Peter and Paul and Jim were saved. All of them, not different ways, all of us, saved that way for the glory of God by the non-working, always present, Taxing. I think the word trust is, is such a great example, a word that we really resonate with that feels simultaneously like a burden and nothing we can do. And they said that's, that's all God has ever really honored is people who just trust him and put their faith in him. So therefore, that's how we're going to do church. If you don't like it, 
now you may leave. There is a time. Time to be confident now. We've listened, but God has spoken. The text has spoken. The Spirit has spoken. The church now confirms. We are going to move forward. And I don't know the last time you just stopped and gave thanks for this church council. So grateful that God gave these people the insight to know the truth and the reality of him and how he has always worked. Paul concludes it this way. Romans chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Look at how clear this is. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on his grace. Because we're trusting in him. Not in our own things. That's where the work is wrong. Not trusting in what we have done. Not trusting in our own moral purity. Not trusting in our own um, uh, spiritual excellence. But we're trusting in God's goodness. And what Jesus has done. Not what I've done for Jesus. But what Jesus has done. It may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. That skips over just the Jewish people into the Gentile world and includes us all as one. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, trusted, who, gave, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that are not in existence. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. What, what, what Paul is saying there is lining up with what the church decided is that is God not good? And always, for all time, demonstrating a love for his people where he reveals himself in a way and proves himself to be trustworthy. You've heard the statement that as many as the sands of the seashore. And I used to think, wow, that must mean that there were a lot of Jewish people living back then. God says, you have no idea. When I'm talking the sands of the seashore, where Susie sells things, if you're talking about on the seashore, I'm not just talking the Mediterranean, but I'm talking about the shores of Africa, I'm talking about the shores of both coasts of this great land. I'm talking about sand all over the world. Because those are my people. And I love them and I'm coming after them. In the name of Jesus the Messiah. Is that not good? And the church said, Amen. And that's what we're here to celebrate. I'm going to ask the band to come forward right now and uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be concluding our time reflecting on and worshiping this great God. We are going to be spending some time um, gathering around uh, the body and the bread of Jesus Christ and, and, and holding it in our hands um, as foreign sand <laughs> and saying, God, thank you. Thank you for how consistent you are. Don't you see how beautiful it is that God is always the same? And don't you love, in terms of how, how great he has made himself, and particularly in Jesus? Do you see how these things really shouldn't be held in tension like they're both kind of true? No, they're both true. God is so good. 
so good because he is so God. But let us stand and worship and eat and drink together to this good God.